0: Hello everyone, Um, this is Jack Tierney doing uh, my final project podcast for Professor Malone Fights Imagining American Futures class titled, Is Progression the Answer? Um, Today I'm going to be discussing a lot of different movies. Um, My main point is going to be how futurescapes in movies have shown that due to human nature, no matter how many technological progressions that are made, humans will create conflict. Today I'm going to be talking about three different movies, Back to the Future 2, Ex Machina, and Her. Ex Machina and Her are two two movies that we discussed in class. Back to the Future 2 is a movie that I've loved since I was a kid. I love the entire franchise. Um, it's been something my dad pushed onto me at a young age. And funny enough, we're going to have him on to discuss a little bit of that later in the episode. Um, but yeah, uh... All movies that um are in the sci-fi category, um, all movies that propose different futurescapes, and all movies that ask a lot of questions. Um, starting with Back to the Future, um, it's obviously the sequel, sequel of the original Back to the Future. Back to the Future Two is what we'll be discussing today. Um, there's one segment that's really, really important that I want to get into, but just going over the movie, it features time travel, the trials of capitalism, and a fun adventure between Michael J. Fox's Marty McFly and Christopher Lloyd's Doc. The film came out in 1985, directed by the famous Robert Zemeckis. The next film we'll be discussing is Ex Machina, which is a more modern tale about artificial intelligence. Oscar Isaac, who is a bit of a rising star in the sci-fi industry, those who know and watch his movies, Um, he stars in the 2014 film, which was directed by Alex Garland, and another really interesting movie. The next film I'll be discussing um, is titled Her, um, which features a star-studded cast with Scarlett Johansson, Joaquin Phoenix, and Amy Adams. I believe Chris Pratt's in there, too, for a small spell. Uh, the movie is set in a futuristic America where technology is uh, more developed than it is today. Um, specifically focusing on artificial intelligence, similar to Ex Machina, it is, it's not too out there in terms of what futurescape it proposes, but it's more of in the 2030 range in terms of what year it's most likely projecting. Uh, and Spike Jonze, uh really famous director, directed this film in 2013 so I will be discussing in depth um, all of these films and really just trying to emphasize that the real problem is us human nature all right let's get into it looking at back to the future and that franchise is super super nostalgic for me it's something that me and my family watched every year on New Year's. I actually don't know why. Uh, it doesn't really make much sense looking back. But um, yeah, it just became a tradition. And um, obviously, everyone's seen the first one, it feels like. The second one is is also, you know, very famous. And that's what we'll talk about today. The third one's not too great. Um, I don't think people really talk about the third one as much as the first two. But yeah, the first one, it just tells a traditional uh, time travel story. Um, that's been repeated a lot in, you know, American literature and movies. Um, yeah, but it's it's very, you know, simple in a way. Marty McFly is the main character. Um, Doc is also alongside him in their journeys. The two of them in both movies have to, you know, travel to different time periods and, you know, for c- certain reasons. And um, the conflict is pretty similar. Essentially, one small thing goes wrong. And it affects the course for history. Um, But in the second one, you know, it really, you know, goes another level, in my opinion. Uh, In the second one, the villain, if you will, Biff, gets a hold of an almanac and gives it to his old self. So essentially, giving his um, old self a cheat code in 1955. Um, And so Biff, giving that to his old self, then allows himself to, you know, get every single sports bet right for, you know, every single sport, sporting event he wants. So essentially, as you'd expect that would happen, Biff goes on to make millions, potentially billions of dollars, and it it, it really is a, a dark capitalistic setting that is proposed. Clearly, Biff went from, you know, normal guy, bully in high school to, you know, millionaire, but what 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 interests me more is what is affected in the society around him. When Marty and Marty goes back in t- or actually goes forward in time to see what actually happens when Biff, you know, essentially exploits this sports almanac, he sees a place called Hill Valley where he grew up in that is completely different than the Hill Valley that Marty was used to. You know, there's anarchy in the streets. I think at one point Biff says, yes, I bought the police. I own the police. You know, he's, you know, there's there's turmoil, there's, you know, violence, there's riots, there's things on fire, a city, there's no lights. It just seems like it's completely torn down, except there's this one shining building and it's essentially Biff's palace, if you will. And it's huge, it's massive, it's the only thing that really seems like it's functioning in this town, and you go in there with Marty, and you find out that Biff truly, truly exploited this to get the most possible wealth. He's in this amazing penthouse, beautiful women everywhere, he looks disgusting, as you'd expect, doesn't actually care about himself, he just is the definition of money. But what he really is, to me is an example of capitalism in its worst case scenario. Capitalism is kind of a stretch, right? Because it's it's not really fair to put the critique on that economic system because Biff Tannen happened to have a cheat code and get every sports bet, right? It's not, it's not really fair to capitalism because that's such a science fiction scenario, if you will, a dystopian scenario. But I'll say is this. Technically... A man can get 10 $1 million bets right in a sports bet. Make it $10 million bets. Say a guy gets lucky 10 times with some gambling and just, you know, gains an extremely inordinate amount of wealth. He then rises to the top in our system and can do whatever he wants. And then say you take a guy like Biff and you explain more extreme scenario. You have a guy who's potentially so wealthy, he can buy the police. He can, you know, influence election. He can do X, Y, and Z to gain power. It really, really does beg the question if this system is truly what we should be doing in this country. Biff really is a proposed futurescape, the, you know, the essence of Biff, but technically he is a possibility. It hasn't happened, but there are people and million, like there are millionaires out there who have used gambling or the sale of drug paraphernalia, to rise to the top and, and truly gain power in different ways. In 2015 was the year Biff was supposed to be at the top when Marty visits him. As we all know, 2015 does not look like anarchy in the streets. It's just not the case, not what it was. But if somebody, you know, did gain a certain amount of wealth, for an example, a Jeff Bezos, a Bill Gates, they have so much power that if they went into a region, they truly could potentially take over, influence, and dominate. I find it very, very interesting that this movie came out in 1985. The reason for it is, you know, America at this time was um, ruled under Ronald Reagan. A conservative regime, a man who... If you ask some people, we'll say one of the best presidents in recent time, but if you ask other people, maybe not the same groups of people, they will say Ronald Reagan is a disgraceful human being. I think think it's very, very interesting this movie came out under a Reagan presidency, mostly because it really, really tries to tackle capitalistic regimes and really the monetary state. When... Biff gets to the top with all of this money. He really is a conservative's ideal in a way, where money can rule all. Money drives the man, and I thought I think I think it's very very um, worthwhile to consider Biff as a worst case capitalism scenario. And I think it's interesting that Zemeckis chose this style of uh, of proposing capitalism because. In this time where conservatives were on top and ruling and and truly influencing the modern setup, I think that Zemeckis, you know, is almost giving a reminder to the people that in this conservative setup, happiness isn't always going to be achieved. In fact, it could mean happiness for maybe one man and the rest, it could be turmoil. In my opinion, I don't want to, um... Strictly group this with Ex Machina and her completely because it's such a different film and it doesn't really tackle artificial intelligence like the next two films are. But what it does do is propose a potential future, a future in America that is completely, completely worst case scenario. But in 2015, we were supposed to have flying cars. We were supposed to have amazing tech the world was supposed to be a better place i think it's very very interesting that zemeckis again showed a 2015 that was far worse than 1985 it didn't look like there was too much technological exploration that went on granted we were in biff's hill valley so i don't know how much he was investing in the tech department but i do i do want to i do want to look at that Progression doesn't always mean happiness. Just because we went from 1985 to 2015 does not mean society has necessarily gotten better. It does not mean that everyone is certainly happier. What it could mean to Zemeckis is an example of humans exploiting a system, creating anarchy, and creating conflict, something that we've never not had in our society. Okay, and now I have my dad Riley Tierney uh next to me, a sci-fi fan himself, someone who showed me back to the future at a young age. Um and he's very excited about being on the podcast. Um and I have a, a bunch of questions I'm going to ask him. Let's start with this. What uh what year were you born in?
1: 1965,
0: which I think is really important to remember here because I'm I'm a 2000 kid. I'm a 1999 kid, but like that's my area. Um and so the movies that I grew up watching were very different than him. And so the first thing I want to start out with is what are your, some of your favorite sci-fi movies that you've seen throughout your life? Mm.
1: Oh, it's so hard. Um, I, I guess my favorite, just, I just think I remember it because I was a boy in, in, in an impressionable age. I think Star Wars and, mm-hmm. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out within a year of each other when I was like 12 years old so okay. talk about it's kind of well, hard you're to beat in a fat. phase it's kind of hard to beat that yeah. right yeah. you know what i mean right? it's perfect timing for you yeah perfect a timing age. for a little sci-fi
0: yeah um what are some things you notice about sci-fi movies from when you were a kid era to sci-fi movies that you've seen now because mm-hmm. i know you mentioned that you've seen the movie her mm-hmm. which i'll be talking about mm-hmm. later sure. mm-hmm. um but that's an example of a sci-fi movie now but how mm-hmm. how does that compare to a movie like Star Wars or Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's it's almost a very different approach, if you will.
1: Well, I, I think Close Encounters in the Third Kind in, in in Star Wars are very different. But, so so let's think about sci fi movies in history over mm-hmm. his, in history, right? Mm-hmm. In the history of movies, history of literature, right? So so before there were movies, there were books, and sci fi is a nineteenth century genre, right? There's kind of most of it is sort of. Um, Science going haywire mm-hmm. is the big theme, right? So what's the first sci-fi book that anyone can think of? Frankenstein. Oh, there you right? go. 1819, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Really long. almost 200, 200 books, 200 years old. But what is it? Science going haywire. Mm-hmm. Man thinks worse he's case bigger case than God. Yeah, could, yeah. yeah right? Mm-hmm. The other the other big development in the 19th century was H.G. Wells, right? He, he wrote a lot of the books that he wrote. War of the Worlds, you know... Time the time machine, uh, and then Jules Verne. You know Jules Verne wrote great adventure stories that sort of bordered on sci-fi. Right, those guys really influenced the early 20th century sci-fi. Right, and all of those books got made into movies, and so the so the. The movies that we grew up with, that I grew up with, that were sort of movies at the time that everybody watched were movies that were based on books, mm-hmm. were famous books and famous writers. It doesn't
0: seem to be the trend anymore. No, it's not. It's be- because I... there
1: are no great books. Because books aren't the thing anymore, I know. right? You know, it's, your it's generation more... doesn't care about books. I
0: actually think I think Star Wars, by the way, I know you mentioned it earlier, is mm-hmm. a super interesting example of that because... There's a lot of famous sci-fi things that pop up like my two favorites are Harry Potter and Game of Thrones right those right. are my personal favorites. And, and
1: Star Wars is no different than that but German. but
0: I know but I think it the, just happens to but the one space. the one thing that's different about Star Wars to me mm-hmm. is it's not backed by literature it's just movies well
1: as you know and we've discussed this before Star Wars the plot of Star Wars was stolen from a great Japanese movie of the 1950s uh, yes, yeah. called The Hidden Fortress mm-hmm. by the great Japanese auteur master, mm-hmm. Akira Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. So, um, and many movies were stolen mm-hmm. from Kurosawa movies and made mm-hmm. into great movies, and a lot of Westerns were made from mm-hmm. Kurosawa, right? But those are stories, of, in a sense, those were stories... Star Wars is nothing more than an ancient drama, like mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, yeah. brought into outer space, mm-hmm. right? And that's a, that is a vein yeah. in science fiction. Mm-hmm. The other big influence, I think, in science fiction, which was big when I was a kid, was World, was the Cold War mm-hmm. and the post-war era, right? Yeah. The biggest development in sci-fi were probably two things that happened after World War II. The atomic bomb and space travel, mm-hmm. right? So those were two huge... Those mm-hmm. things didn't exist before. They were imagined by H.G. Wells. They were imagined by the old-timers. Mm-hmm. But they weren't real mm-hmm. until my generation, until I was growing up. And you and then and then you still had dystopian movies like Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. but you also had the same year two thousand one Space Odyssey, right? Which, which was really was very the, the first one. really yeah. modern sci-fi outer space movie. Mm-hmm. You
0: know? um, I have another question for you. I was just actually discussing uh, Back to the Future two, mm-hmm. and I thought it was super interesting and important to look at the fact that it came out in nineteen eighty five, mm-hmm. which was under a Reagan presidency, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of what Biff went through. In that you know when he you know got the almanac and made all that mm-hmm. money and then basically controlled Hill Valley yeah it was a really worst case scenario of a capitalism going wrong right. one man gaining all the wealth and yeah. controlling it's so, everything it's so, tr-
1: it's so funny to me that in the last year on Twitter as we watch the election we've seen many 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 comparisons of Trump to Biff
0: <laughs> which is actually going to be one <laughs> of the be, questions it, I have, have written to down the yeah, tip, yeah, yeah. Right? well yeah. it's it's I w- what I was trying to get at though was I think I think Robert Zemeckis the director in my opinion, was almost giving the world a reminder that although, you know, people do like Reagan, he's, I think, considered a good president in terms of history. Mm -hmm. He wasn't perfect. He had severe flaws. And I think that when these creatives, these directors are, you know, in a conservative regime at the time, I think it's interesting. I think he might have been trying to remind us that capitalism... Isn't perfect and can go wrong and, and can be bad. And worst thing is a
1: bully despot, a w- a bully despot, right? Mm-hmm. A bully and a despot are the same thing. Hitler was the ultimate bully, mm-hmm. right? And that's in that in po- in post war America, Hitler is the foremost figure a evil figure that people you know riff off in a completely
0: fictional setting though they tried to make biff turn into the bully gone powerful right which is i think it's really interesting The
1: bully gets power that's a bad theme you're right
0: i'll say this then do you think that biff is a fair comparison to trump in a way i know that that's like almost a meme right now yes but i think that in a way, like you know, the hair doesn't help. They look pretty similar no, in terms Biff, of their Biff, body Biff and stuff actually, like that. But actually,
1: ironically, I would say that Biff is too. You know, Biff is sort of an evil genius, mm-hmm. and um, he had, you know, he had basically the answers to the test. Right. So he say, didn't. Right? He wasn't just giving He wasn't actually on, yeah. smart, but he actually was. He mm-hmm. schemed the whole thing. Right. I wouldn't give Trump that much credit.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, so you so think I, Biff- I,
1: I think Biff is like more of an evil genius. <laughs> Biff is more like Dr. Evil in, in, in the, uh, in the uh, um, you know, Mike Myers Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, Austin Powers yes, movies. Austin yes, Austin Powers. Uh, which are sort of science fiction.
0: They, I think they definitely they border
1: are. border I just think that
0: when you take a completely comedical yeah. out- approach to it, it's harder to, like, it, people don't yeah, group don't it with that. It yourself, but it is. Yeah, it but, really yeah, is. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting, and I think that Trump will... Yield a lot of sci-fi content going forward. I think that a lot of the movies that have come out in the past ten years are gonna reflect this new age. Like as you said earlier, with the Cold War being in effect. There was a great um, book called the, the, the,
1: the Last, The Man in the Castle. Uh, there was a book by Philip Roth called uh, It Can't or, uh, It uh, The Plot Against America. There was a book by Sinclair Lewis called It Can't Happen Here, all about uh, the potential for fascism. They were all hmm. histories. Of a, the potential for fascism in mm-hmm. the united states and, and the, what and what year was this well R- roughly so it can't happen here was written in the 1930s. thirties okay right um, which is which makes sense the plot against you know? america was written during uh the, 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 the aughts, you mm-hmm. know the two thousands mm-hmm. and um you know I think that the theme of the United States can fall prey to fascism is probably going to be something we see more in literature, in, in literature and, and movies. movies. And, yeah, and maybe and, even yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever the mm-hmm. new media takes yes. on. Yeah, In all Western, I mean, we're seeing it in Western Europe as well. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see this rise of fascism. Mm-hmm. These are the bad guys. They're sort of like Darth Vader. Right, 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 you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No,
0: I think it's really, really interesting. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you um, was, okay, so you're, you're saying before with the Cold War and the atomic bomb, being kind of your era... And your movies kind of were influenced by that. Do you? Th- what do you think? Um, when you look at her, for an example, or Ex Machina, which is a movie that you haven't yeah, yeah, seen, but yeah, I, yeah. it's it's really they're too focused on artificial intelligence, yes. which is the new fear of my generation. Yes, I think it's we're going to see. I don't fear. think
1: we've seen the great movie of this genre yet it, no, of artificial right. intelligence. This will yeah. be somebody will create the great movie mm-hmm. of this genre of artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've seen it yet, mm-hmm. and, and, and in, in mind control, or that mm-hmm. bit, you know, or uh, has been not, there's, I, you know, where you look at the great works of, you know, we've seen it more in dystopian stuff, 1984, mm-hmm. uh, Brave New World, things yeah. like that, you know, in literature, um, but yeah, I, mean, I don't think you've seen the great artificial intelligence sci-fi thing mm-hmm. and yet i don't know the literature well, as well enough but i bet you, you know it's interesting it.
0: though as we said earlier it's like i almost don't think we'll see literature because it just doesn't seem like a, a format that it's takes not, on it
1: doesn't well but you see the you see the remakes of the great books dune for example is being remade again again funny enough i just finished like. the
0: show queen's Gambit, which yeah. is a 1980s novel um it's 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 interesting though because when you have a generation that's not Creating books anymore. Yeah. It just becomes all. There's so four much sci fi
1: created in the second half of the 20th century. I mean, right. And it's going to be a long time before we get to all right, right, of books. Right. But, but I think, really, Jack, it's it's the well worn themes. The themes are done over and over again. The alien invasion, we talked right. about that. You know, how do you have an alien invasion? War of the Worlds, H.G. Yeah, H. Yeah, yeah. Wells came up with it in 1890, right? right? But it wasn't that hard to think of. No, right? because it's, it's
0: something that can be proposed. Right. Well, you know, and I'll say, okay, I have one more big question for you. Um, that is kind of the theme of my podcast has been around this idea. And it's for someone who has seen large-scale technological advances throughout your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you at 10 years old versus you now, like you couldn't even imagine some of the stuff we're doing now. Has it led to a happier world with less conflict? That's the, that's the end-all question. Well, there question. was
1: plenty of conflict
0: before
1: mm-hmm. the post-war era. Okay. So, there, and there's been plenty of conflict after it, but they've been smaller and more... Mm, less consequential. Contained. contained. Mm. They haven't been as geopolitical, right? So, in my lifetime, I mean, I was a little boy during the Vietnam War. And um, I knew people that served in the Vietnam War in my neighborhood that were teenagers, mm-hmm. you know, um, when I was a little boy. And, um, it, you know, we've had the war in Iraq, and, you know, it never had the same number of soldiers. We'd half a million soldiers in Vietnam. So when when you have war and it is uh, it, it sucks the whole country in, um, that's a bad world to live in. And mm-hmm. we had many of those in my youth and before I was born. And things have been better since then, mm-hmm. cross our fingers. So I don't know that the world's better or worse. Um, I know that science is helped us conquer a pandemic mm. in 18 months in, in a year in one year which is great i mean which is which would decimate think about society in history, yeah. how, how many black plagues we had over history yeah, yeah, that yeah. we never even had a cure for mm-hmm. um and and uh, i just think that um net net will see science as a way to combat the bad things in the world there won't be any ice ages if we can control the environment mm-hmm. and you know, I think I think there's so many things we're seeing in, in computers and science, and my job, which is an investor, which is to spot these technologies and invest in them. Uh, that is, um, you know, in uh, literature helps me imagine things, and right. movies help me imagine things and stuff like that. But I, but I think that um, the world is better, and uh, although it's different. And in in there are many things, there are many charms of what it was like to grow up in my era that you'll never have, Jack. Right, and there'll be you know there'll be many games that we invented when we were playing as little boys without computers, mm-hmm. without any screens. You'll never have, right. but you're going to have so many things we never had. Right, so it's just different. It's just different,
0: and it's hard to even say whether it's better or worse because you don't really know. Yeah, until everybody in my it's generation, thinks it's worse, of course. But that's right. But that's uh, I of just, course there my are. Parents, I'll our think, parents think the same. It too. I'll yeah, think exactly. the same thing. I know.
1: So it's the same. All the I,
0: time. I'll say this. I have one one final thing I want to kind of reiterate, though, is the one thing though that has happened over time. You know, 1960 to 2020. No matter what year, there's still serious conflict that goes on in humanity whether it's large scale or small scale it happens every 10 years is a huge thing that goes on right now we're going through a pandemic you know before it was you know we were worried about the presidency there's wars going on all over the place would you agree that conflict is something that will just be a part of humanity humans will always
1: have reasons that they think are important enough to fight for and there will be human conflict Mm -hmm. and um, there will be imagination and there will be science and there will be there will be works of art created around these tensions because that's what literature and movies are about is attention.
0: Mhm. You know? And that's all. Thank you, dad. appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Special shout out to my dad, um very nice of him to come on. Um again, he's a huge sci-fi fan and um he had a lot to say. Uh, that could have gone on for 6 hours if it wanted to. Um but I had to keep him tame and I think that he did a really good job answering a lot of the important questions. Um, now I kind of want to go into more on Ex Machina. Um, I just want to go over the plot really quickly. Essentially, it's a, a very small cast. Um, it takes place um, almost entirely in a rural hideout area, rural tough word; more of just a hideout area, almost like a supervillain cave or something like that, um, with an Elon Musk-type figure um, named Nathan and a test rat essentially named caleb um caleb is selected by his company to work uh that nathan actually is the owner of uh but essentially caleb is picked to go on this great getaway to learn about the tech at this new place and what he discovers is he's going to be interacting with an ai and nathan is going to kind of study it and you know see how he reacts um this movie does a really really good job showing the fears of artificial intelligence and the fears are realistic. I I have a lot of fear of it myself um throughout imagining american futures the class the content I have been learning a lot about artificial stuff that I haven't really learned about before and you know I'm not I'm not too thrilled about it to be fair. Um mostly because a, a lot of it is going to rely on certain human beings making the right decisions that will affect millions of human beings. And I don't have a lot of faith in us to handle that properly. Just because of human history, there's been, you know, repeated greed, ego, wars. It doesn't bode well, essentially, is what I'm trying to get at. Um, And a lot of times it's narcissists calling the shots. And when talking about narcissists, Nathan, the main character is, you know, look no further if you will he is again an Elon Musk type figure where he's extremely 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 smart to the point where everything he says is very um, intelligent and correct if you will almost to a fault um, he, he, he is a guy who seems to be on his lonesome a lot um, he's a guy who abuses alcohol constantly and, um, you know, lifts weights every morning. So he's a very macho man type figure. Um, but, but I think it's really interesting that in this about, I want to say it's a 2035 to 2040 projection of humanity in America. Um, I think it's really funny that there's a guy like that who is, um, you know, ahead of this technological movement. The proposed Futurescape is one that we don't get too much of. We can kind of, you know, interpret and guess what's going on, but it's definitely a more technologically advanced society. Um, and in this hideout, there's, you know, state of the art technology and especially there's essentially a robot human that he's created, um, with artificial intelligence, um. The Musk-like character that I keep getting at, Nathan, um, he's one that shows humanity and riches at its finest. Um, there's a lot of metaphors throughout the movie that kind of center around God. I believe the um the, the girl that uh Caleb interacts with names Ava. And um part of me thinks that um Adam and Eve plays a role there, and that she's the first girl uh in this society, and he's Adam, Nathan. Um, I I think that he is a bit of nostalgia or maybe not nostalgia, more, um, uh, macho man, narcissism, if you will. Um, Nathan argues a lot that, um, technological advancement is inevitable. So he does feel this obligation. He explains it to Caleb. He feels an obligation to create the AI. He doesn't think that necessarily it's going to be good or bad. He just thinks that no matter what in society, AI is going to be made. So it should be him who does it because he's so narcissistic to believe that he should be the one. I don't think this is a fair ideal. I think that this is something that's repeated about history. And a question that I want to propose to anyone listening is, should humans feel obligated to do something just because it can and will be done? If you're a guy like Nathan, and you have the capabilities to work on and try and improve artificial intelligence, but you also know the dangers, why do it? Is it the narcissism? Is it the power? Is it you want to be remembered in history? I don't know. But all we do know is that AI will create conflict. It could potentially solve issues, but it will create conflict. That's a fact. It is very, very, very controversial. In Ex Machina, you have two characters, one taking advantage of the other, and then one, Caleb, at the end, who tries to manipulate Nathan into setting this girl free, almost. In the end, Ava, the artificial intelligence, escapes, and in the last scene, she's in society, um, in an unknown city, no one knows, loose, essentially. So you can do all, you know, if there was a sequel... You know, it could be brilliant, it could be a brilliant movie, but, but it really does show that, you know, artificial intelligence, when gone wrong, could be potentially extremely, extremely dangerous. This movie came out in 2013, and I think it's interesting to look at that year because, you know, still in an Obama presidency, still in a world that's constantly developing in using social media and just technology in general. Um, that is a time frame, um, 2013, where Instagram is spark- is uh, sparking up, Snapchat sparking up, Twitter still raging, Facebook starting to die down a bit, but social media really embedding ourselves into our lives and everyone's becoming a more technologically gifted person. But it doesn't seem to be happier. Caleb himself doesn't seem happy. Nathan doesn't seem happy. The two characters in the movie are 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 unhappy. They're, you know, one abuses alcohol and is narcissistic. The other seems to be a more lonesome guy who's a bit critical of the world. Um but the AI proposed it's it's not to, you know, help people. It's merely it's merely made for Nathan to be the one who makes it. The AI is uncontrolled. It escapes into society. It could potentially lead to chaos. What he could have done could derail humanity. But it doesn't seem to matter to him because it's something he just wants to do. And he's not alone in this. There are many people out there who will feel the same as Nathan. And so I want to reiterate that through Ex Machina, we see a world that could potentially happen, but does not potentially yield happiness. The third and final movie that I'll be discussing is her um a really really um interesting movie a really beautiful movie one that um spike johnsy the director um really focused on imagery and themes and colors um it, i i think he, he made a really uh, conscious decision in a lot of the scenes that we saw um the fashion even is, is super interesting um I I personally believe that he's projecting a future scape of about twenty to thirty twenty thirty to thirty-five. Um so maybe in the next twenty years ish, um, ten to twenty years. And it's it's a world that he proposes that is become dependent on technology and and beginning to become dependent on artificial intelligence. Um I think it's a little further along than ex Machina in terms of what year it it's it trying to represent. Um, but, but it's a very, um, very sad, you know, story, uh, the main character, um, played by, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Theodore, he's very lonely, if you will, um, not his whole life. Yeah. He actually had a a girl, uh, I believe it was his girlfriend, um, that he was with for a very, very long time. And he had a very bad breakup. And now he spends all his time alone you know, using technology, working, um, you know, staying in his apartment. Um, but he's not alone. Uh, Amy Adams at one point goes through a depression where she breaks up with her person. And then uh, she goes through her own lonesomeness. Um, but along the way, he gets involved with this technology where he um, is speaking with Scarlett Johansson as an you know, but she represents an AI, so it's not really Scarlett Johansson, it's just a computer. And he falls in love with her, which presents a world of complications, if you will, as you would expect. Um the same thing happens to Amy Adams later on. Um but this is a world with extreme, extreme advancement in um technological um situations, and so it it it's very um it's very uh as I said, it was beautiful, but it's also very, you know, savvy in a lot of ways. People are walking around with um, speaking to themselves and you can't even see what's going on. Um, the billboards are, you know, slicker. Um, again, the fashion is different. It's almost like going backwards in time. It's like nostalgia's back. It's very, very uh, cool world. However, it doesn't seem to be one that I want to live in. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain why. A world that becomes you know, seamless in terms of communication. You go home, the video games are the best ever. Um, You know, the TV is amazing. You know, your food is made for you simply. You know, things like that become part of your ritual and you don't need to do much. You can stay home and talk to any friend you want across the world in a blink of an eye. You know, there's there's no work that needs to be done. It's all there for you. And I think the humans are struggling in this new world. The happiness in two of the main characters is extremely low at points. Amy Adams eventually, you know, become goes through her own stuff. But Ted is 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 extremely sad. Even the AI are sad at times. Um Scarlett Johansson's character, she she even expresses sadness. Um it's a very sad movie. Um and there's there's a real image of loneliness across the board by characters. I think personally that Um, the ability to communicate so easily and the ability to do things so much easier through tech, people lose the social skills they once had. Um, You know, if I grew up and I had everything I needed in my room, I probably wouldn't go outside as much. I probably, you know, I'd stay home on a Friday night. I wouldn't, it wouldn't matter to me as much, but I become extremely, extremely lonely. Sorry, I was cut off there. I'm going to hop back in. What I was getting at, though, was there was an image and sense of loneliness across the board by, uh, by the characters. And I personally believe that the communication, you know, it becomes so easy to talk to someone. And, you know, there's so many different ways to do that. That it almost takes away from the social life and the mental state of the people in this society. And I think that it's really interesting that this movie came out in 2016... Um, again, as I was talking about with her in 2013, you're talking about a society that becomes so, so, so technologically in tune, a society that has 10 year olds on social media, which is twisted for so many reasons. And if you want to check that out, go, go, um, you know, watch the documentary social dilemma, which is, you know, everyone's watching it's on Netflix right now. There's more depression in this world than ever. There's more, you know, women going to the hospital for suicidal reasons. Um, There's more people that are alone. Oddly enough, there's less people um, having sex, which I don't want to go too far into, but it's a really interesting world that's beginning to develop. While I become closer to people and can see more into their life using social media and technology... You could argue that I know less about my classmates because of the fact that I might, I might not be talking to them as much. I think it's really, really particular that this movie came out in 2016. It's projecting about a 20 years from now landscape or, or futurescape, if I will, of a world maybe more extreme, more extreme than we're living in right now. You know, you have depression rates higher than ever. As technology continues to increase, why would depression not increase? There has been a um, serious movement for mental health awareness, which has been great. But is it really going to catch up with technology? The exponential technology advancements of the past 10 years have blown away any time in humanity. So I'm just trying to, you know, reiterate I don't see happiness levels across humanity increasing at the same rate as technology increases. Everyone in this film seem unhappy. Maybe Chris Pratt. Maybe he was happy. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But I just really think it is a fascinating film coincided with Ex Machina that proposes maybe the technology isn't helping us. You know, it's funny. Technology is an interesting word, too, because does, is Uber Eats great for me? Yeah, I love Uber Eats. It, you know, it, it prevents that trip I have to make, you know, to go to the sandwich shop or whatever. But that's not really what I'm talking about. What, what I'm really trying to talk about is our society becoming dependent on tech, dependent on AI, maybe in 20 years. What will that mean to us mentally? What will that do to our mind states? And let's stop talking about her. Let's just talk about, you, know, the movies that I've discussed in general. Each movie proposes a futuristic la- uh, futurescape, one with more technology, or more extreme capitalism, or, you know, an opportunity to create the first artificial intelligence. And yet not many characters are happy. There isn't really a society that I want to live in, in any of these movies. If you look at what my dad was saying in 1960, you know, there are things like the Vietnam War going on. And obviously those are the, those are horrible times. You know, no one wants to live through a war. That's probably the worst part of humanity that we've seen, you know, but conflict exists everywhere. You know, you could type in anything online and see, you know, different countries going through extreme crises. You know, just right now, we're going through the COVID-19 pandemic. This is not a better time than 2010. But if you asked me in 2010, what would 2020 look like? I probably would have said flying cars, just like everyone was saying in Back to the Future. It's, it's very, um, it's very funny almost in a way that everyone imagines the future as this hopeful, great place. When in reality, I think we need to be doing more looking into the mirror. Do humans yield happiness? I think they can. I think they have at times. But there are so many examples of humans needing conflict. And I think technology might be the most dangerous weapon for humans to ever have in their quest for conflict. And yeah, I just wanted to say, um, you know, I, I'm very happy that I was able to talk about these three movies, have my dad on the podcast to, to talk about this theme that I've been discussing throughout class. Um, I'm very lucky to have a very open-minded professor who was very okay with us taking a really creative route with this. And I just want to reiterate my topic one last time before I sign off here. Are we sure technology is is good for us? And are we sure human nature is inherently good and, and not conflict dependent? I'm optimistic about the future. I think everyone is, but should we be?